What's going on, Hardliners? Welcome to His Hardline for another episode of 1% with Him. Remember, every day we need to spend at least minimum 15 minutes with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Dig a little bit in the Bible and spend a little time in prayer, you know what I mean? If you can't do that, just join us here at His Hardline. We'll get it done. Drop. And don't forget to check out our website, www.hisheartline.com. We're happy to have you. Let's get started. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you're at in the world. I am Jason, your co-host with God and Jesus Christ at my side. They are the ones that are in charge of this show. They are the ones at the wheel. They're out the helm, and they are steering this ship through these crazy and chaotic waters that we call life. But like the Bible says over 365 times, fear not, because it is the Lord, our Savior, and God that's going to steer this ship through these crazy waters in the storm, and they're going to take us into a safe harbor. So good morning. It is a great morning here in West Michigan, and it is a Sunday, August 7th, 2022. And yes, I am doing a show in the morning. I have today off from work, and because I have an assembly meeting on my county level later on this afternoon, or excuse me, this evening, typically when I would do a podcast, um, yeah, it's going to be, I'm just doing one right now. I'm going to do a couple, actually, this one, and then I'm going to do a, uh, possibly, I'm going to do a reading of the 2000-25 war manual here because I want to keep chucking away at that and not lose steam on that because that is very important. Um, but anyways, but like I said in a previous show, and I'm going to keep reminding you all that, um, <clears throat> excuse me, that, you know, because of the very nature of my life and how unpredictable it is because of the very nature of my, well, my day job, which is hauling fuel, which can be very demanding and sometimes keep me out a couple hours longer than expected, which really throws off my whole evening than when I get home. Um, you know, I, I'm not always going to be able to adhere to a solid schedule like some podcasters. Um it, because for one reason and one reason only, because I don't make a living off podcasting. Now, if I was doing this solely and, um, you know, I was able to make a living off this all day long, I would be able to adhere to a um, to a solid schedule. But I just wanted to kind of put a warning out there to anybody out there that's really, you know, counting on listening to this live at a specific time every single day. It might not always happen like that, because like I said, my day job keeps me sometimes an hour or two longer. It just depends because trucking is very uh, unpredictable. And then when I get home, it just depends what I got going on here. And then with the assembly, it just depends. Thursdays and Sundays can be very up in the air as far as uh, what time I actually broadcast live shows. So I'm just saying all this to just let you know that if you count on this show to be you know live at a specific time, um, I'm just going to tell you don't uh, because like I said, I have a lot going on and I do my best to keep to a certain schedule, basically, you know, on most Sundays and then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday and Fridays. Uh, but like I said, it's just it's it, it can be it can go either way because there's so much going on. But like I said, if I ever reach a point and, and, and that's up to God, that's not up to me. If I ever reach a point where I can actually make a solid living, where I can do this full time and be able to you know sustain my myself and my family, um, kind of close to what I've been making now, you know, hauling fuel. Um, yeah, you can definitely count on me being here at a specific time 
multiple times a day even, and uh, daily, you know, um, with the exception of Saturday, because again, I like to have a podcast free Saturday, one day of rest, one day to commit to my family and God. So, um, but again, that's all future. Who knows what the future brings, but for right now, I'm doing what I can for you all. But so again, good morning. Glad to have you here. And that's why I'm here this morning live. Just took a day off from work because like I said, it's my last, my mom's last week in being here visiting us. And uh, yeah, just decided to take a day off. So today we're going to be reading out of the book of Mark chapter 7 out of the uh, the New American Standard Bible. <clears throat> and it reads, The Pharisees and some of the scribes gathered to him after they came from Jerusalem and saw that some of his disciples were eating their bread with unholy hands, that is, unwashed. And for the Pharisees and all the other Jews do not eat unless they carefully wash their hands, thereby holding firmly to the tradition of the elders. And when they came from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they completely cleanse themselves. And there are many other things which they have received as traditions to firmly hold, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and copper pots. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do, you, why do your disciples not walk in accordance with the tradition of the elders, but eat their bread with unholy hands? Well, but he said to them, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy prophecy about you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts, excuse me, but their heart is far away from me, and in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. I want to pause there for a second. I was just having this conversation yesterday uh, with, you know, some family members. And they're all Catholic. And yes, I grew up Catholic myself. However, no matter what religion anybody holds firm to, it doesn't matter. My new stance on religion is religion is a man-made thing. And at the end of the day, we just need to rely on God, accept Christ in our heart, right? And just follow the teachings of Jesus. Because everything else that seems to be man-made, you know, what, you know, especially when it comes to the Catholic religion, it seems like there's so many crazy traditions that are just created. Well, where do these traditions come from? Because I sure as heck don't remember reading a lot of these things in the Bible. And I remember, you know, like we, for example, and again, I'm, I'm, this is a sidebar from the reading, and I apologize, but this I had to bring this up while it's at the top of my mind. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. We were at a craft show with the Coast Guard Festival. A lot of crafty people in Michigan, by the way, and surrounding states of people that come up from Illinois and Indiana. Pretty, pretty cool. Um, but it's one of the biggest festivals in the year here in West Michigan. And so, you know, we bought a cross and it, a, a guy, he basically made it out of metal uh, spikes, like spikes that were used to, you know, you would think that, you know, nailed Jesus to the cross. And they were flattened and he made a bunch of little crosses and these little crosses made one giant cross. Maybe I'll post a picture on Telegram or, and put it on True Social and stuff. It's pretty cool. Uh, so anyway, I bought this and I brought it home and I made a funny comment yesterday. Not really a funny comment, but my wife and I, we were playing uh, and with my mom, we were playing uh, this board game called Catan and the cross was sitting there on a table 
And uh, I forgot what it was, but I said, yeah, I got the power of God, you know, helping me with this game or something stupid and obscure, you know, just something that's probably not even true because <laughs> it's a board game. God doesn't care about board games. And I uh, said, so I got the cross right here, you know, right next to me. So, you know, the power of God has increased in this household. My wife's like, no, that's not how that works. And, and, and plus, there's supposed to be crucifixes. Crucifixes are the only crosses we're supposed to have. I'm like, well, wait a minute. I'm like, that makes no sense. I'm like, here's the thing. I'm like, whether we have a cross without a Jesus on it or a crucifix, which is a cross with a Jesus on it. I don't think it really matters. I said, because I think all this is very, it's very obscure. And I hate this debate because I hear this debate among Christians so often. Well, the cross with Jesus on it represents that they, they worship the sacrifice of, you know, and, and, and the killing of him. It's like, no. And then you get the other side of the argument where people are like, well, you know, you can't, you can't have a cross without a Jesus because that doesn't represent Jesus. It's like, where is this argument coming from? And this is what I'm talking about. And let's go back to what it was just written right here in chapter uh, seven, verse six, where it says, as it is written, these, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts is far away from me. And in vain, do they worship me teaching as doctrines, the commandments of men. And it's just, you know, I just, I can't stand like, you know, just hypocritical people. And I know I, I can't be far off from that at times, but at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. If we have a cross that has a Jesus on it or a cross that doesn't have a Jesus, at the end of the day, the cross represents Christ. Whether if he's on it or not on it is irrelevant, in my opinion. Now, this is my opinion. And again, I'm not a Bible scholar. I'm not a, I'm not a priest. I'm not a minister. I'm not anything of the sorts. Just a man that's trying to read the Bible and trying to follow God and Christ to the best of my ability. But at the end of the day, these little debates are the stupidest things I've ever heard. And it's all derived from the teachings of men, not God. You know, these debates and these little stupid arguments come from men. Anyway, let's continue. Verse 8. Neglecting the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men. Yes. And this is exactly what I'm talking about. People neglect the commandments of God, but, you know, they have no problem following commandments and traditions of men, right? They have, or excuse me, not commandments of men, but they have no problem following the traditions of men and the rules of men. It's just ridiculous. This is one of the reasons why we're at where we're at in society today, because we followed man and not God. Continuing verse 9. He was also saying to them, you are experts at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. Yep. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and the one who speaks evil of father or mother is certainly to be put to death. But you say, if a person says to his father or his mother, whatever I have that would help you is Corbin, that is given to God, you no longer allow him to do anything for his father or his mother, thereby invalidating the word of God by your tradition, which you have handed down, and you do many things such as that. Now, after he called the crowd to him again, he began saying to them, listen to me, all of you, and understand there is nothing outside the person which can defile him if it goes into him. But the things which come out of a person are what defile the person. Exactly. Basically, speaking ill will of others, right? Speaking perversely. Gossiping. You know, these are the things. Creating traditions of men other men and women follow continue on verse 17 and when he later entered a house away from the crowd his disciples asked him about the parable and he said to them are you so lacking in understanding as well do you not understand that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him because 
it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach and is eliminated. Thereby he declared all foods clean. And he was saying that which comes out of, a, of the person, that is what defiles the person. For from within, out of the hearts of people, come the evil thoughts, acts, and sexual immorality, thefts, murders, acts of adultery, deeds of greed, wickedness, deceit, indecent behavior, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evils, evil things come from within and defile the person. Now, Jesus got up and went from there to the region of Tyre. And when he had entered a house, he wanted no one to know about it, and yet he could not escape notice. But after hearing about him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately came and fell at his feet. And now the woman was a Gentile of Syrophoenician descent. And she repeatedly asked him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he was saying to her, let the child be satisfied first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it into the dogs, throw it to the dogs. But she answered and said to him, yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table feed on the children's crumbs. And he said to her, because this answer, go, the demon has gone out of your daughter. And after going back to her home, she found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Again, he felt the region of Tyre and came, excuse me, again, he left the region of Tyre and came through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee within the region of Decapolis. And they brought to him one who was deaf and had difficulty speaking, and they begged him to lay hands on him. And Jesus took him aside from the crowd by himself and put his fingers in his ear. After spitting, he touched his tongue with the saliva and looking up to the heaven in a deep sigh. And he said to him, Ephapatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, and the impediment of his tongue was removed, and he began speaking plainly. And he gave them orders not to tell anyone, but the more he ordered them, the more widely they continued to proclaim it. And they were utterly astonished, saying, He has done all things well. He makes even those who are deaf hear, and those who are unable to talk, speak. And that concludes the reading of Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 37. And so, <clears throat> aside from my own little commentary, let's talk about what Mark chapter 7 really means. Now, Mark chapter 7 includes the accounts of teaching and debating and miracles. And in all stories, Jesus emphasizes the importance of God's moral standards over man's tradition and setting the stage for the culture of the church that will, you know, live in the truth of Jesus has fulfilled the law. Now, the sequence, though, of Mark 6, 31 through 7, 37 is loosely paralleled in Mark chapter 8, 1 through 30, including feeding a multitude, crossing the sea, dealing with the Pharisees, teaching about bread, healing, and a confession of Jesus as Messiah. And so the scribes from Jerusalem, once again, join the local Pharisees to debate Jesus, and they attack the disciples who do not follow the tradition of washing before eating. And so Jesus ends up responding with strong words by saying and pointing out that their human traditions is not as sacred as they insist. And yes, it's a very arrogant position to hold if that's what men think. And so they can even use their extra scriptural standards to refuse to care for their aging parents and look pious doing it. And so Jesus then gives the people a lesson in ethics, showing exactly why the Pharisees are in the wrong. I love it. 
And that's, you know, God gave Moses and the Israelites ceremonial law as a sign that their culture was far removed from that of the pagan nations and they inter- that they interacted with. And he also gave them moral laws to define right from wrong in civil laws to enforce ceremonial laws, moral laws, and enforce general order. Something that we need to return back as a self-governed nation under the de jure republic. Now, while these laws are not explicitly grouped as civil, moral, or ceremonial, Context gives us great insight into which ones represent earthly concerns in which are expressions of God's character. And so he never meant the people to honor the ceremony more than the moral principle behind it. And seeing this is one of the biggest things that I have issue with, you know, Catholic um, church services. Okay. And, and again, I'm not dogging on Catholicism. Again, I, re- I was raised on Catholicism. I was raised Catholic. I went to a Catholic school for three years. But the more I, the older I become, and the more I really look into the evil behind the Vatican, both behind the dark Pope and the, you know, the white Pope, they're both equally bad and corrupt. <clears throat> the more I start learning, the more I start realizing just, just how evil a lot of the institutions around the world, and yes, including a lot of religions, how evil a lot of, you know, these institutions are. <sighs> I tell you. And so as far as, um, uh, I just lost my spot here in my notes, but uh, where was I going at? But yeah, he never meant the people, like I said, he never meant the people to honor the ceremony more than the moral principles behind it. And so he, therefore he never meant for religious leaders to add to and use the ceremonial law as justification for neglecting the moral law. Absolutely. And so he certainly never intended for the religious leaders to add man-made traditions that placed a heavy burden on the people. And that's exactly why I take the stance of, look, I don't follow any one religion. I don't care if you're a Mormon. I don't care if you're Orthodox, Christian, Catholic, Lutheran, Methodist. I don't care what you are. Why do we have so many religions? It's, it, it's so stupid. Why do we have so many religions? I'll tell you why. It's because man ended up corrupting it and changing it and diluting it and decided to believe in certain things that they felt was right in there, you know, with them. And it just, you know, they, it just seems like it's everything's so watered down to try to really, you know, cause confusion and chaos among Christians in general. Just, you know, you know Christ-following Christians and then it makes it so much harder to figure out, well, which, you know, which version of the Bible is good? I don't know. I read out of NASB and, and you know, the New American Bible Revised Edition. But do are either one of those any more correct than the rest? I don't know. But those are the two that I just always divert to. There's no, you know, rhyme or reason. But the story of the Syrophoenician woman, though, in this chapter that we just read, is a subject of much debate. And so when seen in the context of the chapter, it makes more sense because the Pharisees, they value the traditions of washing and keeping an oath at all costs. And so therefore, all devout Jews value the tradition of avoiding Gentiles. And even Jesus's ministry in general is designed to reach the Jews and leave reaching the Gentiles for Paul and the early members of the church. And so the gospel is meant for the Jews first, but when faced with a Gentile woman with a great need, Jesus forgoes tradition and takes the moral act of granting her request. 
And so the controversy of the story comes in the way that he stages the interaction. What some scholars see as dismissive and insulting can also be interpreted as a cunning revelation of faith that the disciples can't understand. And so after teaching the disciples that the ceremony of avoiding Gentiles is passing away, Jesus travels through the Gentile regions of Tyre and Sidon, then turns east and enters into Decapolis again. And so the witness of the man freed from the legion of demons has done its work, and then the people are much more amenable amenable to his presence. And so they bring him a deaf and mute man who who he eventually actually ends up healing. And so basically, at the end of the day, you know, Jesus began this tradition versus the moral argument with the Pharisees early on in his ministry, when he defended his disciples as they picked heads of grain on the Sabbath. And so it's interesting to take a note that the traditions of the Pharisees value serves more to make them look good than to worship God. And that's a big problem. That's a very huge problem, as a matter of fact. And so we still argue about tradition, it seems like. And like, what should a pastor, like, you know, like, for example, you know, different traditions, like, you know, what, what should a pastor wear? How do we, you know, how many times do we kneel? When do we kneel, you know, in the Catholic church service, you know, at these readings? And, and, and when do we stand? Like these things, you know, what songs or hymns should we sing? What instruments should we use? Should we even celebrate Christmas or Easter? We forget the tradition is merely an optional tool that's designed to point us to God. It is never meant to take the place of obeying God's law to love him and others. And when it does, it becomes an idol. Absolutely. And this is one of the biggest reasons why I have a huge problem with a lot of religions and churches and the statues. You know, I see why Christian reforms, I never understood it before because we have a lot of people um, I'm not going to name names just in case they happen to listen to the podcast, but um, I'm going to keep it very vague. But we have people we know that are, you know, uh, in close proximity to the family as acquaintances and kind of slash friends, I guess you could call it. And the Christian reform. And it's always been known. And this is more on my wife's side of the family, of course. But it's always been, you know, kind of a longstanding thing over the years that, you know, they always thought that, oh, we're, we're, they think we, stash, you know, we, we worship statues of Mary and this and that. And, you know, they they don't they you know, they, they just look at us like we're, we're below them, you know. <clears throat> and and I'm, and for the longest time, I kind of fed into that argument. I was like, yeah, I'm like, that's pretty that's pretty that's pretty stupid. Like, you know, they, they don't really have any understanding. But then, like I said, the more I started understanding and comprehending what really religion is truly doing. And listen, here's the thing. Both parties equally wrong in my humble estimation. Because you got the Christian reforms and then you get the Catholics, right? Okay, in this one scenario situation where they think that Catholics just worship statues and not Jesus. Okay, I could see their argument and I see what they mean. Absolutely, I could definitely see that. But then on the same token, you look at the Christian reforms who don't do that, right? But yet they still hold on to other specific traditions and things like that. And, you know, they'll go to the, these huge mega churches and there's quite a few of them around here. You know, and I don't, I don't want to say quite a few of them, but there's a few of them around here. And it's like they have all this money. It's like, where are these, where's this money coming from? Yeah, okay, sure. One could say, well, you know, the parishioners are donating. All. Okay, that's cool. But yet when you see a pastor at one of these mega churches here that, you know, he has this huge, you know, house on the lake, like a huge mansion on the lake. And he's got more money than, you know, probably a CEO probably makes. It makes you, it begs the question and ask you why. Like what, what, you know, yeah, okay. 
Christians could look at Catholics and say, well, they worship statues, but on the same hand, you got, you know, the Christian reform or whatever, and these big mega churches, you know, and they're tossing their money and they're preaching, you know, the doctrine of, you know, prosperity. You know, you ask God and God will make you rich. God will make you wealthy. It's like, no, that's not how that works. You, you, you're just turning idol worship from statues to idol worship of money. That's not how that crap works. That is not how that works. And look, forgive me, but I'm just a truck driver, but, you know, I know better. We should not be idol worshiping anything. Statues, money, man, traditions. We need to worship Father in heaven and Jesus Christ and keep our eyes on the cross and recognize the fact that the cross, whether Christ is on it or not, on a crucifix or not on a crucifix, still is a symbol of Christ and the, and the sacrifice that he gave up for us by spilling his blood to wash away the sins of the world for people like you and I who are sinners who were born into a fallen world. Why is this so hard to just follow this basic thing? Give me folks, but I feel like I'm on one today and I'm going to just roll with it. Look, here's the thing. As it stated in Matthew 22, 36 through 40, it says, teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? Now this is red letter language, so you might want to listen up. And he said to them, him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The whole law and the prophets depend on these two commandments. Yes. And yet, people go above and beyond outside these two laws. Why? I mean, he said it right there in red letter language. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The whole law and the prophets depend, depend on these two commandments. And so when I see people going at, you know, Catholics and say, oh, they're just a bunch of statue worshipers. And then you see the Catholics going after Christian reforms and like, you know, they're, they're saying this, that and the other. Or talking about this, about the Methodists or the Lutheran or the Mormons or whatever. Or atheist. Do you not understand that all these are mechanisms of division, just like in politics with the conservative and liberal movements and the, you know, and then you got your libertarian and then you got your progressive, you know, do you not see these are all the mechanisms of division? These are all mechanisms to divide his people. And it sickens me. And I used to be caught up in that trap. I used to love debating liberals. Not anymore. I had a situation yesterday. I was flying the U.S. civil peace flag, the United States of America civil peace flag at the parade. And, you know, it was interesting. I had a lot of people come up to me either in recognition of the flag and was so happy to see the United States civil peace flag flying. And then I had a lot of people at the same time also coming up and be like, wow, what is that flag? What does it represent? That is very interesting. I've never seen anything like it. And then I would explain it. But there is one guy, one guy came up to me. He goes, so you're telling me this flag represent, is, is, is the true American flag of the United States of America? Yes, it is. He goes, so you're telling me that they're flying this all over D.C.? No, because D.C. is a foreign land. And, you know, it's, it's foreign. So it's, it's literally a foreign-owned nation state. It's a nation state. No, no, that's B.S. That's B.S. And he, he started freaking getting all belligerent and, and just completely huffy puffy about the whole subject. And he ended up walking across the street to his condo and by his condominium or whatever. He had a front door with a big glass door, uh, glass window in it. 
and all you saw was that Ukrainian flag. And then on his stoop, he had the U.S. military battle flag, you know, the one that we all know as Old Glory, and then he had the United States Coast Guard flag on the other side. But what I found very interesting about that is that, you know, no flag of another nation should ever fly higher than the United States flag. Okay, even if it is a military battle flag, it should not be flying higher than the U.S. flag. And in this case, it was. I actually posted a picture on Telegram. I said, what's wrong with this picture here? And so when I saw him walk into that little condo there building with his with that flag in the door, I'm like, well, that that doesn't surprise me. I mean, this guy just completely just wanted to create an argument and he's ignorant to the actual facts. But, you know, here's the thing. That was a man that really has no problem dividing himself from other people. And see, that's you know, and I had no problem accepting his objection because I know his objection really isn't based on any actual factual data. He has no idea of the true history of what's going on. But at the end of the day, you could tell he was a man that has been brainwashed to, you know, not only sow seeds of division, but also feed into the division. And I just kind of laughed and chucked it off and let it roll off my back. I'm like, well, it sucks to be him. I guess he doesn't really want to know true history. I'm not going to, you know, if I ever see him again, like, look, you know, why do you think this? You know, I'm not going to separate myself and divide myself from him. We need to unite. It doesn't matter if we have different varying opinions. We need to unite, ladies and gentlemen. At the end of the day, that's what we are called to do. We have to unite. We need to love our, you know, we need to love our neighbor as we would love ourselves. It's very, very important. But these division, you know, these divisive techniques, these tactics, it's it's not it's not good. It's not beneficial to humanity. And so, anyways, with that, we're gonna say a quick prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you so very much for this day, and thank you for all the wisdom that you try to, you know, give us through your good book and the Holy Bible. You know, no matter what versions are out there, I just pray that the Holy Spirit talks to each and every one of us, no matter what version that we are reading and trying to comprehend, you know, just guide our spirits and guide our minds and our thoughts, help us figure out and discern what's really good truth, and, you know, just talk to us, you know, because it, it's, they've, man has done such a good job of really diluting the water, if you will, diluting the, the spiritual water from you. And they've done a good job of dividing us. Uh, we will unite together and we will return back to you as it is intended. If we're going to return back to not just a blessed nation, but also a blessed world. So we can maybe hopefully get to a thousand years of peace once and for all. But I pray all this father <clears throat> And ask that you also guide my words, guide my thoughts, guide my actions. Not just here on this podcast that belongs solely to you, but in outside life. To my family, to my friends and co-workers and strangers. Guide each and every single thought, word, and action. That it all may be in alignment with what your son Jesus Christ would do, say, and think. And I pray all this in your holy son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. And that is all I have for you today, ladies and gentlemen. And I hope you all have a great Sunday. And we'll be back here uh, here in a little bit for a reading of the 2000-25 War Manual. I hope you all have a good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you're at in the world. We'll see you then. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that is it for the day. Thank you for joining us here at His Heartline. Remember, we need to spend at least 15 minutes each day with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That is literally 1% of our time on a daily basis. Spend a little time in the Bible, spend some time in prayer. 
and you'd be amazed what Jesus will do to you. Drop. out our website www.hishardline.com for all the latest updates.